Um, please don't be disappointed. I often do what I'm about to do in reading these passages because there are, <laughs> excuse me, long lists of names, and um, I'm going to give us summaries of certain families and numbers. And if you um, you have a particular concern uh, about uh, what we've sort of glossed over, uh, forgive me and uh, you know look at it for the time consideration that's here and the core of the information that we're trying to acquire. So Numbers chapter 26, verse 1, keeping in mind <clears throat> the occurrence with Balaam just took place, and then the uh, sin of Peor as uh, the, the people of Israel fell into sexual sin and idolatrous sin uh, with the women uh, from Midian, and now it came to pass in verse 1, after the plague that had come upon the people because of their sin, that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from twenty years old and above by their father's houses, all who will be able to go to war in Israel. Uh, keeping in mind that there would have been tens of thousands more had they not just fallen into sin and experienced the plague that they did. So there's a tremendous loss that's being calculated here in this process. The reason <clears throat> the Lord is doing this is they're about to enter Canaan, and in entering Canaan, they're going to need this army and uh, the understanding of divisions that is going to occur here. So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from twenty years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. The book is called Numbers, right? Because they were numbered at the beginning, and now as we approach the end, the Lord is numbering the nation again. The, the summary of the thing is they have less now than what they started with. And that should not be the case, right? They should be prospering and proliferating. Instead, they're being diminished. Why? Because of their sin. Their sin is reducing them. So, in verse 5, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. So, uh, we're now going to look at each one of the sons, the 12 sons, and the resulting family and numbers that come from that. So, we'll go down through each of these. The children of Israel or the children of Reuben were, and there's your list. And at the end of verse 7, those who were numbered of them were 43,730. The sons of Pelu were Eliab, and the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. They spoke against Moses saying, well, you know, we're descendants of the same family. Why is it that 
you and Aaron think you're the only ones that can be priests. We can be priests also. So creating massive division in the nation of Israel, essentially, you're familiar. We just read through it. Moses, the next day, according to the Lord, says to the people, everybody who's on the Lord's side, come over here and stand with me. And everybody that stayed with Korah, the ground opened up underneath them, and they all, according to the scripture, fell all the way into hell alive. A horrific event in the history. So specifically, this is why the Lord is reminding the nation of Israel of who these men were and their families, and graciously talking about the survivors. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Nevertheless, Korah did not die. The tribe survived in the midst of all of that, the graciousness of the Lord. 2612, the sons of Simeon, according to their family. So verse 14, these are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to their family, and they're listed and following all the way down to verse 18. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to those who were numbered of them, 40,500. And then at verse 19, the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan. Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Judah became, or according to their families, these are the families in verse 22 of Judah, according to those who were numbered of them, seven, <coughs> 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, verse 25, these are the families of Issachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. And then in verse 26, the sons of Zebulun, according to their families, verse 27, these are the families of the Zebulonites, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. And then in verse 28, the sons of Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim. And if you remember our study through Genesis, as Joseph had gone into Egypt in slavery and then had had Manasseh and Ephraim, when his father came into the country, he claimed those two sons as his own. And so they become the descendants in place of Joseph. So uh, just in case you had some confusion regarding why Manasseh and Ephraim are listed here, these are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim in verse 35, according to their families in verse 37. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,000. 500. These are the sons of Joseph according to their family. So you could say that these are the descendants and the sons of Joseph, but specifically uh, it has divided them out as the descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim. Then in verse 38, the sons of Benjamin according to their families, verse 41, uh, these are the sons of Benjamin according to their families and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. 
And then in verse 42, these are the sons of Dan, according to their families. <clears throat> All the families of uh, the Shuamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. And then verse 44, the sons of Asher, according to their families, were Jimna, uh, the family of the Jimnites, the Jeshu, the families of the Jeshuites. These are the families of the sons of Asher in verse 47, according to those who were numbered of them, 53,400. The sons of Naphtali in verse 48, their families, verse 50, these are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. Verse 51, these are those who are numbered of the children of Israel, 600. And 1,730. So a completion of the numbering of all the descendants regarding those that were 20 years of age and fit uh, for war. <coughs> so within this census, and we'll look at it briefly a little bit more, uh, the Lord is showing them with a great deal of accuracy uh, what he has done to preserve them. All right. If, if the Lord had not been in this process, then these people would be in Egypt. <coughs> if the Lord had not been preserving them through the process in Egypt, they would have been being wiped out and annihilated, right? Because the Pharaoh wanted them to kill off their sons. And so they would have been losing the ability to procreate and been being dramatically diminished in their numbers had they followed what nature was providing them with. It's, it's interesting to me uh, the mindset of our culture right now and our educational system often talks about a world population problem. You know, And I don't mean to be offensive <coughs> if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, there is a world population problem. And some of you have heard me say it countless times. Uh, you can still, to this day, uh, now we're at 6.9 billion people on the planet. You can take the entire population of the world, put everyone inside Texas, and according to my last calculation, everyone would have 1,628 square feet of their own. We don't have a, a population problem on planet Earth. There's massive amounts of wide open space that are unoccupied all over the planet. Now, you know, oh, well, certain places, you know, Antarctica and, you know, this and the desert, and, you know, you can't put anybody there. Great. Let's find all the inhabitable places and let's spread everybody out at an even distance. You know what I'm saying? I, there's, there's lots of room on this planet. We've got serious problems in a few locations. Hong Kong, Los Angeles, New York City. And really, we don't have a population problem even there. What we have is a car problem in those locations, right? Get rid of the cars. <clears throat> and, and I understand the problems that I'm, I'm talking about. Okay, Here's where you need to think about this. Lucifer wants to kill the human race. He, he wants to wipe out humanity because humanity has the opportunity to get saved. 
and to be in the presence of the Lord for eternity, and he despises that, right? He, his, his destination, there's no opportunity for repentance for him. God has already told us that his fate is sealed. He will be cast into uh, hell and then outer darkness for all of eternity. So his judgment has already been proclaimed. Therefore, he's filled with rage, according to the scripture, and wants to kill humanity. This mentality of there's too many people on earth <coughs> goes back to what was known as the American Eugenics Society. Okay, Margaret Sanger, she started family practice, not family practice, Planned Parenthood. That's what I'm talking about. Um, she started Planned, she was the foundation which became Planned Parenthood. Okay. Her mentality of wanting abortion was because in the American Eugenics Society, they had decided that what, so you got to really put this whole timeline in place. 1859 is when Charles Darwin publishes his book, Origin of the Species, right? And some of us go, right, I've heard of that, or I've read that, or I know what that's about. That wasn't the title of the book, right? It, it was the origin of the species according to the superiority of race. Okay, it was a profoundly racist book where he was putting the idea forward that white Caucasians were superior in their evolution to all other species of human beings. That particularly the black race was nowhere near as highly evolved as we were. And that our nation was now built and self-sustaining, so we no longer needed the blacks, so we should eliminate them, mostly through abortion. That was her plan. That was the American Eugenics Society. You say, that's an atrocity. I can't believe that. What's really interesting to me was there is a large group of Europeans that were studying here in America with the American Eugenics Society, and they left and returned to Germany, and they became the Nazi Party and the SS. And they started trying to physically wipe out these populace so that they would have the superior. It was the same mindset. Okay? From there, American Eugenics Society moved forward several decades, and you come to Jacques Cousteau. And you're thinking, what? I love those nature shows. Jacques Cousteau had a mindset that the earth was a living being. That her name was Gaia. And that her lifeblood was the water of this planet. And that the problems that were occurring with the water in this planet and the pollution that humanity was bringing to that water was making Gaia sick. Does this sound like of enough of a fairy tale to you yet? That we needed to protect what he referred to as the heritage waterways. And the end result of that mindset was he and a group of others that were part of the mindset that came from the American Eugenics Society, which wanted to eliminate 
all of these other portions of the population was that planet Earth could only sustain, ready for it, a half a billion people. 500 million is what they were saying. Everybody else had to go because we were destroying Gaia. And that's why we were seeing all of these earthquakes and volcanoes and all this terrible stuff happening was because we're poisoning Gaia. She's getting sick, and this is how she's retaliating. This is like her fever. You know who really subscribes to this mindset? Al Gore. No, no, verbatim, this man will tell you that Earth's a living being. Her name is Gaia, that we're killing her, and we need to get rid of the human race in order that Gaia would survive. The Heritage Waterways Project says that no human being should live within one mile of any natural waterway. Probably every one of you would have to move. That's the Atlantic Ocean included. And every river and stream and con contributing rivulet. You, you have to get away from the water. You can't touch, interfere, pollute, alter, change water. That's her blood. Don't mess with it. This, this is an evolutionary fairy tale, you guys. You see it here in that God takes this group of people and he isolates them in Goshen when they come into Egypt because the Egyptians hate shepherds. So put all of these Hebrew shepherds in a land separate from them. They're in Egypt, but they're separate from it. You get the New Testament message, Christians? In the world, but not of it, right? Separated from it, why? To protect us, that we wouldn't have the intermingling and the deterioration of our faith. Not our genetics, right? Not our race, that there wouldn't be the deterioration of our faith of the faith of these people. Then the, the Lord pulls them right out, and they're screaming, we're going to die out here. There's no food, there's no water. And for 40 years, what does the Lord do? He protects them and provides for them against all odds. And now, when they come to the place where 40 years has passed, and, and figuratively, the Lord has wiped out the sinful flesh of the previous generation, and he's ready to bring them into the land. He says, let's take a count again. And they take the second count. And they find that they are diminished, but just by a few thousand. And honestly, if they hadn't been through the sinfulness they had during this period of time of God's protection and provision and leading, they would have been dramatically increased in number. The Lord wants, the Lord wants to expand and prosper. It's the sinfulness that diminishes. It's the sinfulness that robs us, right? Proverbs tells us plainly, the man who hides his sin will not prosper. It's not the Lord that's diminishing these people. It's not even the wicked desires of the nations around them that are diminishing these people. It's these people themselves that are diminishing themselves. It's a horrible summary. It's a terrible thing to have to read the first calculation and then get to the second calculation and realize, oh, we've lost a bunch. And honestly, if we examine our own lives, that's the summary of ourselves. 
The things we have suffered loss are at our own doing in our own hand. Right? Amen. It's a a terrible thing that we have to say amen to something such as that. Amen, meaning so be it. That is the truth. That is where we are at as a people. So, continuing here, the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 52, saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. (coughs) To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who number them. Notice this in verse 55, but the land shall be divided by lot, like drawing straws. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their father. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the large and the small. So it seems that what the Lord is saying is, you're going to find the smaller portions of land and say, okay, from this river to that mountain to this section, that's a smaller plot of land. So we're going to assign that to one of the smaller tribes. And then they would draw lots amongst the smaller tribes and determine who got the smaller portions. And the same with the larger portions. The drawing of lots and what you study even later here in these passages about the Urim and the Thummim seem to be that the Lord was almost, uh, he had ingrained in them that the determination of things such as picking the short straw was determined by the Lord. If the short straw fell to you, then it was on you. You know, you think about Achan once they get into uh, the um, battle of Jericho and how he took uh, goods from amongst uh, the city and then they go through uh, drawing straws uh, from the tribes and it falls to his tribe and then draw straws according to the clan and his clan and draw straws according to families and it falls to his family and then draw straws amongst the family and it falls to him. These people very much had the mindset that God was the one who was in charge of that randomness. Okay, the the orchestration of things. And that actually continues, if if you study the scripture, all the way up to the book of Acts. As Peter is recognizing, oh, hey, Psalm 109 verse 8 was speaking of Judas. When uh, the psalmist said, may his days be cut short and another take his place of office. So Peter makes the decision, we've got to fill, you know, Judas's office. So they Uh, draw lots amongst the people who have experienced all of Jesus' ministry from the beginning to the end, and the lot falls to Matthias. And they go, there, you're Judas' replacement. And then that's the last we hear of Matthias. Right? He he never again occurs in the Scripture. But you turn the pages, you know, just a few chapters, and you come to Acts chapter 9, and there the Lord meets Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, and says, you're going to be my servant from now on. Just the same as he had chosen all of the other 11, he chooses Judas's replacement, which was Saul of Tarsus. Then you turn the page back to Acts chapter 2, and once the Holy Spirit's come, they no longer draw lots. They seek the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and guides them and shows them. My point, New Testament believer, don't roll the dice. <laughs> Don't sit at the house and say, come on, give me an answer. Right? James chapter 1, 
verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That means if you're in a place where, oh, God, I don't know what to do with my kids. What am I going to do with my finances? Lord, how do I deal with my spouse? What am I going to do in this situation? He doesn't look at you and go, well, I'd love to give you some wisdom, but you've been a real jerk all week. So talk to me next week. You know, I'd love to impart to you what you need. But no, he gives liberally to all, right? Without, as the, the NIV says, without reproach. He doesn't measure you and then determine. If you need wisdom, you don't have to roll the dice. You don't have to search through Cosmo magazine looking for some survey to figure out what you're going to do with your marriage. You can ask the Lord. He'll speak to your heart directly. But you got to follow the rest of it. James chapter 1, verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you're going to ask the Lord for wisdom, the Lord will provide you with that wisdom. But you cannot then turn around and doubt what the Lord has given you as wisdom. You're going to have to be determined and faithful to follow through with those things. Consistency is key. If you're going to doubt then one moment you'll be up and believing and trusting and walking in strength. And if you're going to doubt, you know how it goes, right? You plunge into depression and difficulty and staggering in your faith. Learn to hear from the Lord and to trust him. Back in Numbers chapter 26, picking up at verse 57. And these are those who were numbered of the Levites according to their families. Very separate issue with the Levites. So verse 59 the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed. These are common names used today for children. You can remember them and use them the next time your daughter's you know, having a child or whatever. be cool to have an Amram kicking around, wouldn't it? I don't know. Jochebed. Don't hear these names commonly. The daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. Amram, she bore Aaron, Moses, and their sister, Miriam. Aaron was born, to Aaron was born Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. That's a further commentary on what went wrong with those two young men that the Lord struck them dead. Now, they were called to take the fire off from the altar that the Lord had ignited and place it in their Incense burners and put the incense on top of that and go in and offer it before the Lord. The way the scripture describes it both previously in Leviticus and now here, it seems the way it's described, you can do your own research, that they were drinking, perhaps even drunk by the way it's described. They saw the glory of the Lord descend upon the tabernacle and they took fire from their own fireplace or their own barbecue or their own provision. They didn't go to the altar as it was prescribed and they put the incense on it and went in before the Lord and the Lord struck them dead. There in that passage, the Lord makes the proclamation that those that serve before him should not be drunk with wine. 
an indication that perhaps they were drinking when that occurred. And what the Lord is supposed to kindle, right? That's supposed to be a symbol of our heart and our fervence and the fire that we have for our relationship with the Lord. That is supposed to come from the Lord, not any earthly thing or anything that we generate from within ourselves. I've been to a handful of Christian seminars and events where it was a lot like attending some kind of cheering competition or occasion where just everybody gets everybody wound up about whatever subject matter. And then when you go back and really examine the subject that they've been talking about in light of the scripture, you realize this doesn't actually line up with God's word. This, this is all a lot of hype. It's, it's something that man has generated. There's a lot of difficulty within that. So here uh, in verse 62, it says, Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel because the Lord had said of the tribe of Levi that the Lord would be his inheritance, right? All of the tribes were required to make provision for the Levites in their midst. The Lord wanted spiritual leadership in every single quarter of Israel, every single tribe and in its region were going to provide houses, in the cities for the Levites, and then common land for all of the Levites to farm together in order to make provision for themselves. So it's not like the Levites were just handed a cushy form of living, right? They did have to work just like everybody else, but they were not allowed to have possession of their own because the one possession that they were supposed to have was the Lord, and in that possession, they were supposed to relay that great inheritance to all of the people. That the most significant thing for all of them was their relationship with the Lord. Verse 63, these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eliezer the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. But among those who were not a man of those who were numbered by Moses, the priest, and Aaron the priest, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them, except Caleb, the sons of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So the entire generation that had departed out of their slavery in Egypt had died, had passed away. Spiritually, there's a, actually a beautiful picture there. As difficult as it is to look at that and realize all the death that is being described, right? Hundreds of thousands, millions of people dying over a 38 to 40 year period of time to where you only have these two, right? Caleb and Joshua, who are a part of that original group that are now going to be allowed to enter the land. The reason that it's a beautiful picture is because it's a, an image of the death of our flesh. When Jesus said, take up your cross daily and die, 
That's what this image is. The sinful, rebellious, idolatrous, complaining people have all passed away. And what's left are these children that are going to be taken into the land and be the conquering nation that rules over the land of Canaan. It's, it's an unfortunate thing <laughs> that they have to go through their own learning process, but the purification, if, if we examine it within our own self, the death of our own flesh. You know, I, I, I'd like to say I, I can't really identify with the nation of Israel, that I read this and I'm just sort of sorrowful as I review it. But the bottom line is I recognize the slow, painful process of dying to myself that I'm still going through. The way the Lord is, you know, I I hate to put it this way, but, you know, I was going to say, you know, choking the life out of me. <laughs> but it's, it's really, you know, more the slow, agonizing death of the crucifixion, you know. The, the longest recorded crucifixion was a week. Seven days hanging on the cross. They, they often, uh, people died on the cross from uh, dehydration. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, forgive me for how graphic, graphic it is, but they drive that spike through. They've, they've, plugged the hole they just made in you with a piece of iron and your body coagulates around it and people going through seizures for days convulsing because they can't push themselves up on their legs anymore to get a breath but by hanging in their arms they're suffocating because their shoulders are pressing into the sides of their neck and cutting off blood flow and oxygen supply and the Romans preferred it that way because you were a signpost for them to not do whatever it is you had done. They would post above your head your crime, right? They posted above Jesus' head, King of the Jews. And the Jews were upset about that, right? They said, no, right? He said he was the King of the Jews. And there Pilate said, no. Um, essentially the way it's worded, was uh, I have written what I have written. Because no, that, that's what's going to be a, above his head. If you were a thief, that was put above your head. If you were a shoplifter, that's what was put above your head. If you were a murderer, that's what was put above your head. So you see that sign and you're watching this man, not one day, but you know if you've got to like leave your house and walk by that crucifixion every day for a week, you're going to get the impression like I'm never shoplifting. I'm never going to steal. I'm never going to kill any. Why? Because that could be my fate right there. The slow, agonizing process of us dying. Uh, it, it, was, it was considered a mercy when they would break the legs of those that were being crucified because then they would only hang in their arms and suffocate and pass away relatively quickly, usually within a matter of hours. It was the fact that they could push up with their feet and then breathe and allow the blood flow that they would live longer. Oh, it's strange to say it. I'm just going with the graphic approach. Oh, that the Lord would break our legs and that the flesh would just perish. 
that the humility would enter in and that all that would be left would be the child, the resurrected child of God. These people go through this long, arduous process of dying to the flesh. The gravest of sins within this whole process, you guys, as far as why and how the Lord did this, right, was he already brought them to this border once. And they were going to go in. And they send in 12 spies. And 10 of them come back and say, we can't do it. They're very dramatic about their presentation, right? Oh, people are all giants and we're like grasshoppers and the land is so violent that it eats people up like flesh. It's crazy. We can't go. And they all doubt it, right? Listening to the negative report of the majority is so very often unwise, right? You, you, you want to search through the faces of those that are speaking to you and look for who is the godly person here. Not how many people are speaking on whatever subject you're looking into. Look for who's the godly person here that I can genuinely look at and recognize they have a relationship with the Lord that governs their life. Then you want to move everybody else out of the way and just say, what is it you have to say to me? And then you want to plot your course based upon that, right? Psalm chapter 1, how many times have I quoted it to us? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of the sinner, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, the blessed man's delight, shall be in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his word, in his law, he will meditate day and night. And what? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers who will yield its fruit in its season, meaning all the time, fruitfulness all the time. These people listened to the counsel of the ungodly. They rebelled against God, number one, and they complained against God, and then they complained against God's leadership. And God said, well, as a result, you're all going to die. Death is the end result of that type of behavior. It might not be a physical death. It's definitely going to be a spiritual death. Definitely. There will be no prosperity. There will be no success. There will be only spiritual death if that is our function. This is actually what the Lord said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in eating it, in dying, you will die. Not just that you would die, but that in dying, you would die. And as we examine the scripture, what we come to discover is that the spiritual death of Adam and Eve occurred instantly. And then eventually their physical death. Mothers, parents, how painful would it be to come to the realization that one of your children had murdered another one of your own children? Now understand that both Adam and Eve had to realize that was a direct result of their own behavior. They had sinned, they had rebelled against God, and it had caused their children to be born sinners who then murdered one another. 
This is what this nation has to face right now. They've gone through this wandering and they've come back here. And what they're about to do in crossing over, they've got a seriousness. They've got a sobriety. They've got a humility about it where they're going to just follow the leading and the guiding of the two godly men that they send into the land. They're going to get the report back from them and they're going to follow. This time, they don't ask for a large group. They ask for two godly people and they send them in and they tell them, this is what we want you to report back to us. Don't come back with whatever you decide as a message. Go look at the circumstances and bring back this message to us. And the message is victory in the Lord. Think about how that applies to all of us. There is victory in Christ. And if we are defeated, and that's the message we're listening to, and we're waiting for the opinion to come back to us, in the end, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to really put a fine application to, but so very often, you guys, what we end up doing is we, we hear within our own hearts our own report. Okay? We listen to ourselves. We don't listen to the Lord. We don't listen to his scripture. And then <clears throat> what that creates in us emotionally, that's what we follow. I don't feel like I could succeed. I don't feel like I could be anything other than depressed. I don't feel like, I don't feel, okay, listen, listen, your feelings, number one, they're real. Number two, they're legitimate, okay? They're not to be denied, but they shouldn't always be obeyed, okay? Best example, Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to God his Father, right, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then the real punchline is, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. He denied his own emotion. He did not desire it. He did not want it. He did not want to obey the Lord. And yet he forcibly applied himself to what he knew to be right. And so it is with us. And that's what these people have learned. God has set out a mandate and the people disobeyed it and it's resulted in 40 years of death and now we're back at the border and it's time to cross. And this time we need to just obey what the Lord has not only told us to do, but promised us what the outcome will be. A summary, the first census taken at Mount Sinai, 1446 B.C., the total number of adult Israelite men is recorded at 603,550. Now, the second census taken in Moab is recorded here, Numbers 26, verse 3. The total number of adult Israelite men recorded in the second census is about 40 years later is 601,730. As I said before, that would have been tens of thousands more had they not rebelled against the Lord. Their increase would have been in this place. It's an unfortunate thing that what we have to do is record the reduction 
And while it's somber, while it's serious, while it's almost depressing, I would just encourage us with it this morning that we don't have to experience that. We, we can simply understand what the Lord has called us to do and then obey it. And in the process, we experience the prosperity and the success that the Lord has promised us. Does that make sense? Pray that the Lord would give us the strength to obey him. So we'll pick up at chapter 27 next week. Will you stand and we'll pray? If you get the opportunity, please check out Calvary Chapel Magazine. Um, I, I, I kept saying it was calvarychapelmagazine.com. It might be .org. So but look it up online. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we pray for the leadership of our nation, the decision of the judges, uh, all through the varying levels of court system. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Our lives, our circumstances, our town, county, state, nation, that you would cause your people to repent, cause your children to be obedient to you. Use us as your servants, as your ambassadors, Lord, that we would represent you and share the message of your kingdom with anyone that would listen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Please.